And today, well, Scott Sharp, what's our topic? Is it something to do with rain? Uh, we could do that. We could talk about keeping warm as well, scarves. Uh, scarves, that's true, for your plants. Yeah, well, it'd be a good idea, wouldn't it, even <laughs> just to wrap your plant up with something? I'd keep it nice and warm around the neck. <laughs> I'm sure you'd appreciate that, especially when it's just in. Yes, <laughs> yes. Some other things. Yes, I thought we'd about. actually talk about poinsettia today because it is nice and cold. And even though it's a plant we see mostly in summer, it's actually a plant that likes the cold to get the colour. Uh, fellow, we were talking to a fellow a couple of weeks ago about whitefly, and we'll talk about that again today. And uh, urbanite, it's a type of fraxinus, a little deciduous tree. William from Valentine has rung that. And William, you've got a question about a butterfly bush. Hey, William, how can we help you, mate? Um, a couple of weeks ago, you spoke about a butterfly bush, um, which I once had and was destroyed. Mm -hmm. It was the butterfly bush that had the blue flower. Could you tell me the name of the butterfly bush? Yes, it's a type of clerodendrum, that one. Uh, clerodendrum ugandanese. I guess it must have come from old Uganda over in that area there. Um, yeah, and look, it's it's you know, the uh, other clerodendron that people uh, you know mostly think about is bleeding heart. It's a it's a type of climber, and it's a, it's a sort of a very soft climber, but it has this beautiful uh, you know red and and white flower that just looks like a bleeding heart, uh, and it's such a vibrant flower. Uh, but it is related to that one. This one you're looking for is Clerodendrum ugandanese. Uh, it's a sort of a shrub, uh, probably gets a couple of metres tall. Uh, it's very prunable. And you do get those really beautiful uh, sky blue butterflies sort of fluttering all around it when it comes out into flower. What was the first name of it? Yeah, Clerodendrum. Clerodendrum. Yeah, How do you spell that? Uh, C-L-E-R-O-N-D-R-E-N, I believe. Just a second, I've got... That's all right, mate. Um, C... C-L... C-L-E-R... C-L-E-R-O-N... Yep, D-R-O-N. Or D-E-N. D-R-O-N. Yep. Oh, I see. Clerodendum Ugandanese. Yes. Where would I likely to pick one up? Mate, look, you just have to jump on the phone. Where are you at? Valentine. Valentine. Valentine, okay, yeah. Look, just jump on the phone. Try and get to an independent garden centre... Um, see how you go if, they, if they've got one. Look, I, I doubt that the uh, the big boxes, uh, they'll be able to help you too much with sort of a specialised plant like that. Uh, an independent garden centre is going to be the way for you to go, mate. Okay. Okay, good on you. Thank you if you call, William, and I must say that shows taste. It's one of my favourite bushes too. Oh, it really is a beautiful little plant and it survives, does very well here in Newcastle. Yeah, and like I said, very prunable, so you can keep it nice and compact if you want to. And uh, when it comes out in flower, it is just stunning with all those uh, little blue flowers that look exactly like butterflies going all over the bush. Yeah. Is that a spring flowering bush? Yes, it is, yeah. Mm. It prefers the warmer weather, so probably not liking it out there today too much, but uh, yeah, not, not a bad plant at all. Getting lots of um, moisture to keep it going. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for spring. <laughs> what about poinsettias? Yeah, points... They like cold weather too. Well, strangely enough, they do. I mean, we see them here in Australia when it's uh, when it's Christmas time because they're a, a plant that's typically... Uh, uh, you know, linked with Christmas, and that's Christmas in Europe, though, uh, when it's nice and cold over there. So to get those nice red bracts, those leaves that they get on them, uh, it actually has to be cold. And so you're probably seeing them out and about now as you drive around. And they actually aren't a bad-looking um, plant uh, to have in the garden. Strangely enough, no, though, they are actually uh, a native to Mexico. 
they're, they're a type of euphorbia. So you, they must get uh, up in the mountain ranges or something over there, and when the cold comes in, that's when they, they flower. Um, so, yeah, look, they really do make a nice plant. They probably get to about... Uh, Oh, around here, two, two and a half metres tall. Uh, that's about the maximum you see them. But again, a plant that can be pruned back uh, very heavily as well if you want to. Uh, you just have to be a bit careful. They do get that white sap coming out of them because they're a type of euphorbia. But, uh, you know, I've had it on me. It doesn't really irritate or anything like that. But just, oh, you know. So it can do that, eh? Yeah, so yeah. euphorbia can be a plant that uh, you can get quite irritated by. But, look, uh, poinsettias are, you know, in most people's houses, uh, during Christmas, and it never seems to create a problem. Uh, actually, um, named after a fellow called Joel Roberts Poinsett. He was the uh, first United States minister to Mexico who introduced the plant back into the US back in the 1800s. So you were talking about the red leaves mm. they are. They look like flowers. They do look like flowers, but it's actually the little yellow bit in the middle that's the flower. Yeah, so those bracts are just there to attract you know, the, the, the bees to come in and uh, to the tiny little yellow things in the middle. So, yeah, a lot of plants are like that, but uh, poinsettia is probably one of the uh, the most uh, stunning, I guess, with those those red bracts that the they get on The colours are yes. fantastic. Trevor from Kiliburn Bay, you've got some old roses and you're thinking you'd like to move them around, I'm guessing. Yes, um, there's an old property uh, with a lot of old roses and uh, just want to know what's worthwhile moving old roses where the, uh, the stumps are quite thick. Uh, look, it's it's absolutely the right time to do it. Uh, once you start getting, you know, old stumps and the bark starting to crack on them, uh, it becomes a little bit problematic. They're, you know, more susceptible to pest and disease. Uh, and look, it's not that they won't transplant well. It's about how well they're actually going to perform for you, uh, you know, as, as a plant going on. Uh, look, that's not to say they won't grow for you and you might not have, you know, some success. But if you want to do it, mate, certainly it's the uh, it's the time to dig them out now when it's nice and cool. Uh, and the ground's nice as wet as, uh, and wet as well, so you can transplant them quite nicely. Uh, always give them a really heavy prune back, uh, you know, down quite short. You can probably bring them down to, uh, oh, you know, 40 centimetres, 30 to 40 centimetres, just like you see them, uh, you know, in the garden centre when they're, uh, you know, ready to be sold. You can certainly do that with any big rows as well. And uh, t- try and take as much uh, root system as well uh, with you and then just back into some nice good soil, um, you know, no fertiliser or anything at this point in time and then just uh, keep on watering it and uh, you should have some success. All right, then. Uh, thanks for your advice. Okay, not a worry, Trevor. You have Thank a nice day. Thank you, Trevor. And more on roses now. Brian's rung in from Swansea and your roses are in pots, Brian. Yeah, hi, Scott. G'day, mate. How um, can we help you? Ah, uh, well... I was uh, just about to uh, repot some of my roses, and um, so I've got a couple of questions with that. Firstly, um, I've just started seeing a whole lot of new growth on a couple of them, so uh, that doesn't really matter. I can still cut them right back. I just wondered with the new growth, you know, whether I should cut them back now as well. Yeah, look, it's it's about as cold as I reckon it's ever going to be in Newcastle. So the plants are probably, you know, getting about as dormant as they're going to be, you know, now and for the next month. Uh, so, look, I, I'd have no compunctions about cutting them back at the moment, Brian. Um, and if you need to transplant them, do that as well. It's a, a really good time to do them. Uh, look, and again, you can cut them back quite heavily. Roses are just one of those plants that, uh, you know, sort of the harder you cut them back, the, the better they perform for you. And they just, you know, spring back looking really quite beautiful. Uh, and uh, the other thing you need to do, mate, is uh, get some lime sulphur as well. 
Uh, so once you've done your pruning, that actually you spray that on the tips of where you've been pruning and, and all over the rest of the plant as well. And it gets rid of any scale disease that might be on there. And it also seals up the uh, ends of the, uh, the branches uh, where you've pruned it uh, from any pest and disease getting in there as well. Oh, right. Well, as far as that's got, um, I haven't had trouble with pests. And when I cut them back, usually I'll put um, honey on the end of them, which seems to do the trick. But uh, I don't know what you think of that. But my other question is basically that um, I had a bit of trouble. They're in quite big pots, but they're earthenware pots. And they dried out a bit last year. And so I was going to repot them with a freshened up. Um, I was just going to mix coir and uh, peat, uh, sorry, coir and, and pine bark mm-hmm. chips into the, into the soil. It's, it's a soil mix I made up, so it's not really a potting mix, but I just thought I put enough pine bark in it for the drainage and some coir to help hold the moisture. Would that, would that be a good sort of mix? It, it's, it's sort of in a, a mix I've made up, but it, it doesn't have quite the, um, the water holding capacity that I want. And I don't want them getting getting soaked. Yeah, look, I, the only thing I'd be concerned about with that is adding, you know, uh, pine bark into it. Uh, pine bark can be slightly acidic just from the nature of the plant it's come from. And the other thing is you're probably going to make a, a mix that's, you know, a little bit too friable. It's going to be too open and it's going to drain too quickly for you. Uh, so, look, I'll probably be, and without seeing how much you actually put in, of course, so, you know, it's the cocktails in the making, isn't it? It uh, depends how much yeah. uh, how much vodka you stick in there as to how strong it is. But um, I'd just be, you know, I probably wouldn't be putting too much pine bark into it. I'd be more relying on that uh, coir uh, if you're going to use that. That'll be uh, quite good for the roses. Right, and that, that won't sort of hold the water too much. It'll still drain, okay? Look, yeah, it, it should do. Again, just mix some of that pine bark in there. Give it a water, you know, see how it's looking. If it's draining through nicely, um, you might need to, uh, you know, put some more pine bark in there if, if it's, uh, you know, holding too much water. But again, it's just, you know, I wouldn't add in, you know, a whole bag of pine bark and then go, well, no, I've got to backtrack from here. Just, you know, do your mixture, make your cocktail up, uh, you know, just adding a little bit in at a time and seeing how it's draining away for you. Right. Okay. And uh, and the the honey on the when I cut them back, the honey seems to work as far as the. Yeah, mate. That's fine. Yeah. No. If you yeah. if you've got honey to spare, um, go for it. You might as well use that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. Thanks a lot, Scott. Okay. Cheers. Alan, a timely time to ring. So you're from Gilliston Heights, and you've got a question about pruning roses. How can we yes. help you? How can we help you, Alan? G'day, Scott and Greg, and um, to the lady and all listeners. Um, I spoke to you about oh, probably a few months ago in regards to my roses, and I've been feeding them after about three years, and they're doing well. Thank you for that. Good, good. And the other thing at the moment is um, the uh, I've got rid of all the buds that that or the roses that were growing, um, and they're all died off, and that the, the plant's quite lean at the moment. Um, but it's starting to. Um, Seed, uh, not seed, um, bud. Now, I'd normally prune it at the end of next month, but because it's um, coming up now, should I prune it earlier before the end of next month? Uh, look, I guess the answer to that, uh, Alan, is that you can prune it now if you want to, or you can just, you know, any time, basically any time between now and August is going to be fine to prune your roses uh, here in Newcastle. 
Uh, the fact yep. that it's got some buds on there, don't be too concerned about that. I'd actually be more worried at the moment about you know doing some pruning and then it gets you know super cold or we get these these cold winds we've got and then those buds will actually burn off and you'll get a bit of a stunted plant there for a while so sometimes it's best just to let the plant go as it is at the moment and and then wait you know two or three weeks time and then give it a prune back but look it it, it really it's six or one half a dozen of the other uh here in newcastle once you get to this cold time the roses should be getting fairly dormant uh, and, you know, all the way through to August, it is fine to prune your roses. Okay. Okay, that's all I've got to say, and thank you very much. Not and a... I use Dynamic Lifter. Yes. And what I actually do is I water it down in the can, and I water it that way. That way it doesn't – and I don't put it straight on the um, yeah. on the roots and that. But um, and it, it's slowly like I want to burn the plant, and it loves Dynamic Lifter. Yeah, and look, Dynamic Lifter, the reason it likes that is because it's a poultry manure-based fertiliser, and uh-huh. uh, so it is, you know, slightly uh, alkaline in its pH, and that's what uh, roses really like, and that's why I usually recommend just putting straight fowl manure uh, onto roses at this time of year. So you put about uh, 10 litres of uh, fowl manure once you've uh, pruned your rose, and then uh-huh. in a couple of weeks' time, you put some of that, uh, you know, just like some normal rose food that you'd get in a packet, uh, after you've yep. done the pruning for uh, in about two weeks after that, yeah. Okay, thanks, Scott. Okay, not a good afternoon, and it's a good show. Uh, Love thank, you. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> Cheers. Bye bye. Thanks, Alan, and thanks also for your comments. Yes, he's smiling, Scott is, and uh, he's got some great advice. If you've got a question to put to him, four nine two one six two one six, your question on your garden, of course. We had another topic there, didn't we? Uh, yes, we did. We, pardon me. We we're going to talk about whitefly, in fact. <laughs> I caught you in the middle of your drink. There, I was having a, having a little sip then. Yes, it's it's funny the things you do when people can't see you. <laughs> yes, people can actually. We do have a webcam oh, to nurfm dot com. So okay, um, that's that's a bit scary, but mm. uh, won't be drinking as much anymore. <laughs> Uh, was, you've hidden the wine bottle, haven't you? Yes, it's, it's gone away under the chair now. I was going to talk about whitefly because a, a fellow rang up a couple of weeks ago about an infestation he had, even though it's, it's a funny time of year to have it. Uh, and he said, look, it was you know really destroying his plants. I don't remember what, he, um, what plants he had it on, but I remember that he rang up about whitefly. So a couple of ways to get rid of it. Uh, well, one of the uh, the easiest um, you know, and, and best ways to do it, it nat- completely natural, is to have some companion planting. Uh, put in some marigolds or nasturtiums, and hopefully the, you know, the scent of those will actually keep the whitefly away. What I would say, though, is it's probably something that you're going to use in concert with other methods as well to try and keep the whitefly away. So it's probably not going to work entirely you know, on its own. Um, so I'd put in definitely some marigolds and nasturtiums if you've got uh, you know, tomatoes or whatever in at the moment. A um, bit, bit cold for tomatoes. I think that's what the guy had, actually. He had tomatoes in, and I commented that it was quite late uh, for him to still have them. But uh, anyway, regardless of that, he was still trying to grow them. And the other thing uh, to uh, use, if uh, you can use neem oil as well. You have to be careful about using neem oil on uh, edible plants. Uh, so always read the packaging when you're getting some neem oil if you're going to spray that. That will keep uh, white fly away. And the other way to do it is to make up a uh, sort of do-it-yourself spray at home uh, using one part soap, one, uh, two parts rubbing alcohol. 
isopropyl, apparently, is what that is. I've never used rubbing alcohol myself, so it's one part soap. You don't get that at a bottle shop, do I you, rubbing? I don't think you get that sort <laughs> oh, of alcohol. No, it's, and don't use your best Shiraz or anything <laughs> like that in, in lieu of it, okay? It's probably a bit stronger than Shiraz. Yes, I'd and it'll make all your plants a funny colour as well. Yes. Uh, so one part soap, two parts of this rubbing alcohol, and then five parts water, and that should actually keep your ad- adult whitefly away. It won't necessarily keep the eggs that they've laid away, so you have to keep on using it, but it will sort of, you know, drown the uh, drown the white fly and sort of choke them up. So, yep, one part soap, two parts alcohol and five parts water. And goodbye white fly. Hopefully, yes. Gondi Sharp, they like music, don't they, plants? The, the little plastic ones that dance on your dashboard do. <laughs> uh, I think that's about as far as they go. <laughs> 49216216 for your question for Scott today. Gardening talk back on 2NURFM. Vanessa's rung that number. She's from Newcastle. Vanessa, your question's about indoor orchids. Sounds great. How can we help you, Vanessa? Um, So, Scott, I was, over the last couple of years, I was a little bit ill, and it was around the time when these um, indoor orchids were being sold all through Woolies and Coles and just about everywhere. So I I managed to get, like, quite a big collection of them, and I managed to look after them. I have a bathroom upstairs, which we don't really use much, that has a very big filtered light window. So it's kind of almost like a little hot room for them. So I've managed to keep them alive for through two summers and trim them. But this year, um, they've developed a, a, like a, a very thick, furry, white um, substance all over them. And it looks like it's spreading from yeah. one plant to another. Okay. It sounds like you've actually got mealy bug on them. And I've got a couple at my place as well. And I turned one of the leaves over the other day when I was watering it and went, oh, you've got mealy bug, mate. We're going to have to treat you. I'll talk to them yeah. like I talk to the cats, my two, uh, my two orchids Even on the table. Even if they don't yeah. like music. Yes, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it sounds like you have got mealybug. Uh, it looks like almost white cotton wool, and if you look carefully, there's little guys in there that will move around. Uh, so you do need to treat that. Uh, you need you can use uh, white oil if you want to. Uh, eco oil will also work for you. And what those chemicals do uh, is they actually just sort of choke. They're, they're naturally based. They just sort of choke the the uh, little mealybug and, uh, you know, sort of makes them sticky, and they, it clogs up their little breathing holes and... Um, I'm not making it sound very nice for the mealybug right about now, am I? And and that, but that will get rid of them. Uh, look, you could also use some pyrethrum as well. That's another natural insecticide. Uh, if you wanted to use that, you could actually mix some of the white oil and pyrethrum uh, together into a little mixture and spray it all over. What I would say to you though is, uh, you know, one application of that uh, mixture isn't going to be. Um, you know, good enough. It's, it's one of those uh, things where you have to be persistent because they must be in the area now in, in that bathroom. They just love that, probably that uh, humid uh, conditions. Yeah. They're exactly the sort of things that the, the orchids like. So, you know, if you do it now, you probably have to do it in a couple of weeks' time and then possibly a couple of week to- weeks' time after that as well, just to make sure that they're all gone. And then hopefully the, the orchids will continue to live. <laughs> yes, and look, and it's flowering season for them as well. Now, you probably notice that, uh, you know, any flowering stores are starting to get little nodules. They're a funny thing. They, uh, the, those Phalaenopsis orchids actually start to flower when it gets a bit cooler. So as soon as we get this cold snap, that's when you see the little flowering stalks come up. But again, they're, they're very easy to look after. Um, look, I'm, I'm a bit of a cloth-eared fool, but I've been uh, with plants, but I've been looking after uh, my two now for nigh on seven years. Uh, wow. And then they've kept on going, and like I do not do anything special to them at all. Plants in my place are treated uh, quite poorly, I'd have to say, and they're doing very, very well for me. I just flush mine. I give them a good um, water and leave them to drain overnight once a week, and then I put them back in their little pots, and 
they're happy as. Yeah, and, and look, that sounds about right. They don't like uh, you know being in wet conditions all the time. So you don't have mm. them in a big saucer of water where it's just constantly soaking them up because they're actually uh, epiphyllites. They only use that root system to cling onto the branches of trees in the rainforest. So they don't really mm-hmm. use those that root system to absorb the moisture up too much. It's actually just a sort of a little handhold on the branches of trees. So look, I'm glad they're doing well for you. Uh, get some of that uh, eco oil or some pyrethrum and uh, try and treat that. You okay. need something for mealybug. Yes, great. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a lovely day. You too. Have a nice afternoon, Vanessa. You too. Yes, keep those indoor orchids going. Uh, Jason has rung in. We've gone from indoor orchids, which are rather small now, to lily pillies, which can be rather big. Mm, we're all up in, gra- in great country as well. How can we help you, Jason? You're in Picolban. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. I've, uh, I've got a scale issue that I've had. Uh, we planted our hedges four years ago, mm-hmm. and um, I can't get rid of the scale. Mate, have you got that really big sort of waxy white thing that, that lily pillies get on them? No, it's a, it's a black scale that's on it, and yep. then there's the, the sooty black yeah. uh, stuff that starts with it. Yeah, so what happens is that you get the scale insect. It's just a little insect gets blown around by the wind, uh, lands on your tree, puts that... Um, that uh, sort of scale protective coating over the top of it, but it exudes a, a residue uh, that the ants bring up. They like to come and eat that residue. And then that they bring the sooty mould spores up from the ground. So you get um, an insect infestation and then you get a fungal infestation as well, unfortunately. So what you do need to do is get... Um, something to get rid of that scale insect in the first instance. Uh, the best thing to do is get some white oil and if you can get some malathon as well and you actually mix those up. So what I usually do is you'd get, uh, you know, for instance, your litre of water or whatever the mixture is and put into that litre of water what you would need to put in for a litre of white oil and what you'd need to put in for a litre of malathon. And then you've got one litre of this white oil malathon mixture at the, at the correct rate. And then you go and spray that all over until it's running off, you know, try and get them up in underneath the leaves as well. That's really important. And uh, repeat the process again in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, The other thing you need to do is get a a fungicide like uh, Mancozet Plus or Copper Oxychloride uh, to get rid of that um, sooty mould because what happens is once that sooty mould settles on the uh, leaves of the plant, the transpiration rate, you know, stops. They can't photosynthesise as well as they'd like to. And, uh, you know, they just become more and more unhealthy. That allows the scale insects. So you can see where I'm going. All of a sudden, you're in this perpetual motion machine. Uh, But you need to break that cycle. Uh, Yeah, right. Yeah, I'd make up that... Sorry, mate. So I, just need, I need to continue spraying like every, every couple of weeks? Yes, or? yes. You just have to continue spraying, get that copper oxychloride and uh, spray that on there as well. Uh, so you do your, your insect spray one day and then your copper spray the next day. But um, like I said, be really liberal with it. And I'm not talking as in the political party. I'm talking about yep. be really generous with it um, you know, until it's running down the trunk, until it's misting up and underneath the leaves where those little insects are and do it every couple of weeks. Right, I'll give that a crack then. Okay, good on you, Jason. Thank Excellent. you. Okay, thank and you. Bye, bye, mate. They're such a magnificent tree too. I believe they're a fire retardant. Oh, too. I, d- I didn't know that, but mm. I'm in a really good hedge, a great hedging plant. You can keep them, you know, low. You can let them get up, you know, depending what variety you've got, three meters tall or so, and they'll block out the neighbours, uh, make a really nice little screen for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or like mine, which was supposed to be about three meters tall and is oh, mm. miles about eight meters than tall than now, are they? Oh, yeah. at least. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, normally it is. 
Greg Richards, who's here with Scott, of course, but he's going to be along a little bit later on. Kev Calloway's away, so Greg will be in after the four o'clock news. So I'm Jane Klein. I'm here until then. And we are still, still taking your calls. Vivian, um, you have rung in from Valentine and custard apple trees. Now, would there be many custard apple trees in our region? Hello. Yes, hello, Vivian. I, 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 I Scott, sorry. I didn't know that was my question. No, that's all right. And you look, you do see custard apples around in, in people's yards. Um, yeah, they're not a, not a difficult plant to grow. How can we help you with yours, though, Vivian? Um, yeah, well, I'm lucky to have about 40 fruit on my custard apple tree. Yes. But most of them um, are split in. Um, probably half of them are now split. Mm. And I wondered if there's anything I can do to prevent that happening. I, um, should I pick them off? know earlier or is there something i can do yeah yeah look i'll probably pick them off earlier i i think that that that's occurred uh you know probably just because of some of that weird and intermittent rain we've had you know it's been very dry and then all of a sudden you know very wet and so the plant will absorb up a lot of moisture at that time uh look i think that's probably going to be the reason for you um, that they're doing that. So if they are splitting, pick them off now and try and get them inside, um, you know, and uh, just um, look after them there. And, you know, in a warm spot, maybe, uh, you know, on a windowsill somewhere where they're I'm still... I'm looking at two of them sitting on the windowsill so now. Good, but yeah. I find sometimes if I pick them off too early, they, they, don't, they don't ripen, they just turn and they go black and hard. Yeah, and, th- and that's the funny thing about, you know, you think you're going to pick a, pl- uh, you know, a fruit off the tree and it'll still ripen for you, but it doesn't because it needs that sunlight. It needs, you know, the sugars, you know, going down through uh, you know the stems of the plant uh, you know and just keep on turning things over to ferment I mean that's the the, the big thing with tomatoes they're always going to ripen better uh, when they're actually out in the sun on the vine uh, you know even if you, they're sort of starting to turn a little bit red and you decide to take them inside they never quite ripen up as well as you want to and it's the same thing with your custard apple tree yeah, I, t- I take a risk, really, don't I, picking them up early because whether they'll ripen or whether they'll just turn black. And another quest, quick question, um, Scott, can I prune an apple tree? Uh, yes, you certainly can if you want to. Yeah, you prune it. Uh, look, again, about a third of it off. I wouldn't be, uh, you know, going too hard into it. Uh, and always pick your time of year. So uh, I'd be waiting now until, uh, you know, mid-August before you did that. Thank you so much. Okay, not a problem at and all. And thank you for your call, Vivian. Speaking about pruning, there are some fruit trees that um, that don't respond well to pruning, aren't there, Scott? Uh, well, look, citrus and all those ones, they'll, they'll prune very, very nicely. Uh, I, yeah, I'm just trying to think about ones that normally won't. Mangoes, they'll do pretty well with pruning. You can always prune your uh, your passion fruit. Uh, but again, your tomato vine, not going to do very well if it's fruiting and you try and prune it. Uh, you know, the only thing you do with uh, tomatoes, and it's probably the wrong time of year to even be talking about them, is, is you just pick the laterals out to try and thin out the uh, when you've got a grafted plant in the ground. Hmm, okay. We've got about a minute left before we go. Yeah, we were going to talk about uh, Fraxinus urbanite. It's a nice medium-growing tree, and I guess the reason I thought we might talk about uh, a deciduous tree at the moment is because, you know, hopefully they're going to get some colour. I mean, but that said, deciduous trees in Newcastle don't really get the colour, uh, you know, that deciduous trees get in the, in the colder climates, you know, down around Canberra and out uh, west of the ranges. But uh, this one, Fraxinus urbanite, it's, uh, I guess the name gives it away. It's uh, not a too 
big a growing plant. So it's actually going to do uh, very well, uh, you know, if you've got a, a larger backyard. It's not something that you'd put into, you know, a very back, a small backyard. This one gets about eight metres tall, so it's, you know, tallish, but, um, you know, not too bad. It's got a really nice spread about it as well. So it gets a nice canopy. Uh, you get that traditional trunk um, moving up as well. Uh, it will grow here very nicely. Uh, yeah, look, I'd just say a really good plant. If you've got something that... Um, uh, you know, a garden that's a little bit small and you need a narrow tree, there's a, a prunus called Chanticleer uh, or Capital. That's another uh, type of prunus. They're more upright uh, and they'll provide some shade for you. They'll get a little bit taller, but they won't uh, sort of take over the garden as far as spreading out. Uh, but uh, look, I think this is a very nice tree, quick growing, great uh, to have in the garden. And deciduous. And deciduous, yes. So you get sun in winter. That's Gardening Talkback for today. Thank you, Scotty Sharp. Thank you. And we'll welcome you back again next Monday on 2NURFM.